if you will go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5 and um, while, while you're turning or if you're if you're using a, a tablet or a, a smartphone uh, doing it electronically let me also encourage you to find a couple of other passages of scripture stick a bulletin there because because we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit this morning so go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 19 Uh, And also, while you're looking for Matthew chapter 19, look for Deuteronomy chapter 24. So um, just in case anybody is interested, it's on page 807 in my Bible. Um, So uh, I don't know exactly what that means for yours or for the the Pewback Bible, Um, but uh, Matthew will be in the New Testament. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. So if you're not really familiar with the Old Testament, I would encourage you to take a chapter at a time and just kind of make it your goal to read one chapter starting in Genesis all the way through. But it's the fifth book. It's, uh, it's just a, you know, a couple hundred pages in. Um, my Bible, again, just because you want to know what page it's on, it's in the, the 140s in my Bible. So um, we're going to be looking today at, at a topic that, that is, is not just prevalent in our society, but has been prevalent since the dawn of man. And that is how we engage married, engage marriage in a divorce-laden culture. And, and the statement that Jesus makes today is a strong statement rooted in the strong statement that God made to Moses 2,000 years earlier, and it's because it's etched in the law of God, who God is and what God has asked us to do as his people. So, so I'm not going to ask you to stand this morning as, as I normally do because we're going to be bouncing around, but I do want to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5 as we look at this passage, um, verses 31 and 32 together. And Jesus says this, it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who do- does divorce his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we even thank you for the discomfort of your word. Because as we grow in our understanding of who you are, we need to wrestle with with what it means to be called by your light and your name in a world that is flooded with darkness. So Lord, I ask that you would teach our hearts today. I ask that you would, would, that you would place your spirit right here within us in our midst that we would know clearly who we are to be according to your word and that we would make a gospel difference in our homes, in our communities, our neighborhoods, in our city, in this place as we shine the light of Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, this, this week I put out there on Facebook, uh, kind of drawing, trying to draw people into this passage because we live in a society that, that does not always value marriage. And the reality is marriage can be hard. A lot of times marriage is difficult. So, so all you singles that are living like in the, the princess dreamland, waiting for Prince Charming to show up or waiting for, for the princess to just appear out of nowhere, uh, go ahead and wait, but don't expect it to be what Hollywood has shown you. 
See, Hollywood never shows you the rest of the story. Hollywood just shows you all of the, the immoral decisions you can make to get your dream person. But guess what? Some dreams go bad. And that's the world where you and I live. That's, that's the brokenness that is of our society. We, you, you can listen to the radio. Just this past week, I heard, uh, I heard an advertisement that I used to hear quite often in the upstate of South Carolina for Cordell and Cordell. Domestic litigation partners, they, basically divorce lawyers for men. And their whole point is to make sure that the wife in a divorce doesn't get her fair share or more, that the man comes out on top. You can see the, you can see the signs. They, they make the little small look like political campaign signs and put them by the road. They take out billboards, uncontested divorce for like a hundred bucks. Do you realize that it is easier to dissolve your marriage in American society than it is to foster or adopt a child that does not have a home? It is easier for you to bust your family into a million pieces than it is to bring someone in and show them the love that they need. Something seems wrong about this. But I do want you to hear me right now because this is a topic that I am approaching with, with what Jesus says here, but with some pastoral trepidation because I know life gets messy. I know that sometimes your marriage is the hardest thing in your life. And I know that some people, even under the sound of my voice, have probably experienced divorce. No doubt all of us have been touched by divorce in some way. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you're the child of divorce. Maybe you have, have, you have uh, friends and family that have gone through bitter and bad divorces. And so the question is, what, what do we do with this? Jesus just, man, he just dropped the A-bomb of divorce on us. I want us to pull in and, and look and see what Jesus shows us about marriage and divorce so that we can know, okay, no matter what our step is, what, what steps we've taken in the past, where he expects us to go for the future. Because the Christian life is not about yesterday, yesteryear, yesterdecade. The Christian life is about who he has made us and where we are going for his glory. So what we're gonna look at is a couple of things about this whole idea, this whole idea of marriage. We're not even gonna start with divorce. This passage is, is about divorce, but we're gonna start with marriage because that's where it starts. And you have to see with me today that your marriage and my marriage was instituted by God. It was instituted by God. God. Look at what Jesus says in this passage of scripture. He says in verse 31, it was said, this is hearkening back to the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees according to the law, whoever sends his wife away. Now you can't send someone away that's not yours, right? So there's a marriage that's already there. And what Jesus is going to do in rooting this passage is look very clearly and carefully at where the marriage started. So there's a very short statement here on marriage and divorce in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus gives a much fuller statement over in Matthew chapter 19. So go ahead and flip or scroll. I don't know how you swap passages on your electric device. So if you've got one of those, you know, make it quick. Here it comes in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 3. It says this. The Pharisees came to Jesus and to, in order to test him. 
I, I want you to look very carefully. The Pharisees never talk to Jesus unless that note's getting there, that they're trying to test him. They're trying to lay a trap for Jesus. It's kind of stupid, if you ask me. You can't trap the son of God. You just can't. But they tried, and it says they came to him in order to test him, and they asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Jesus answered saying, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and then said to them, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. What, what therefore God has joined together, let no man or woman separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hard heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So he re reiterates the exact same thing he shares in the Sermon on the Mount, but he gives a fuller statement about this marriage. And notice the starting point of the marriage is that God gave it to us. Your marriage and my marriage was instituted by God. And what happens in this passage of scripture is we see the way the world operates because the world is consistently seeking a way out. The world does not want commitment. The world wants to promise you all of the pleasure of life with none of the commitment necessary. It's like donuts. We love donuts. They're good, right? And if you ate a box of donuts every day, people would be able to see that you've been eating a box of donuts every day. Right? You would go to the doctor and he would draw maple syrup out of your veins. But if you were to go and take a bite of donut and like 15 pounds of fat just jumped out right here from that one bite, you would never touch another donut, would you? See, the world consistently wants to offer a way out. That's why you have these no contract plans. That's why it's a buy now, pay later system that this world's built on. And the scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus with this try to get a way out. They're looking at, hey, Jesus, doesn't the law teach us? I mean, it's, it's like kids on Christmas morning wanting to see what's in the package, right? They're like, Jesus, come on, tell. Doesn't the law say that we can get rid of our wives for any reason we want? These were the religious teachers. The ones that Jesus had just quoted and said, you remember it was said that you should send your wife away and give her a certificate of divorce. And he said, is it really lawful? Does God really permit that? They're seeking a way out. They're trying to eliminate the binding commitment that God had placed here. And what they do is they bring Jesus into this discussion. See, there were a couple of rabbis from a few years before Jesus that had two main schools of thought on this. There was one of them, his name was Shemai. Let's just call him, let's just call him Shem, okay? And, and Shem, his whole thing was, no, if you're gonna divorce your wife, it has to be something grotesquely evil and wicked and vile that you find within her that is utterly unforgivable. And only then should you dismiss your wife. And then there was this other guy named Hillel. Ooh. Hillel said, man, you can get rid of her if you want to. You, 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 can, you can, and he's trying to root this. We'll come go to De Deuteronomy chapter 24 here in just a minute. Don't flip there yet. We're going to get there in a minute. He, he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and says, hey, you, you know what? 
This, this is what you could, for any reason. May, may, maybe she can't fit into her wedding dress anymore, so get rid of her. Oh, maybe she burnt your food last night. Send her away. Maybe you just trade her in for a newer, younger model with less miles. See, Hillel was in the middle of this debate with Shammai over what is permissible under the law. And the Pharisee says, you know what? Let's see how we can get out of this one. Kind of sounds like American culture, doesn't it? Oh, I do until I don't anymore. Yes, I'm going to love you until you talk to me disrespectfully. Oh, I'm going to love you until you do this. And if she does this, I'm going to go to the court. If he does this, I'm going to, and if he says this one more time, if he demands this, and if she says this, and if, 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 if. They're trying to seek a way way out. But what Jesus does in response is he goes back to creation. Man, I love what Jesus does. Man, this is, this is Jesus says, you want to trap me? <laughs> All right, you're supposed to be the teacher of the law. Let me, let me show you what this, this word of God that you're supposed to have been studying all along actually says. So Jesus points us back to creation. He says there, have you not read that the one who created, ooh, we get to creation and we get to God. But I want you to notice the subtle words that Jesus uses here that smacks the Pharisees right in the face. So he told the people on the Sermon on the Mount, said, have you not heard or wasn't it said, haven't you been taught? Go ahead and get your divorce. And then he goes to the scribes and Pharisees and says, you teachers of the law, you people that are supposed to be the experts, did you not read? See, that's us. Church, that's us. Have we not studied and known what the word of God actually says? And Jesus is coming and putting his finger right on our hearts today. And he's calling us to the point of discipleship where we look at the word of God and says, you've got to know what's actually in the book. Didn't you guys read when you were studying? Didn't you read that the one who created us made us male and female? See, when Jesus points us back to creation, he does something wonderful in jogging our memory of who we are. Because if we are created, creation gives us a purpose. Creation gives us a purpose. Somebody created this watch that's right here on my wrist for the purpose of telling time. GM and Ford created vehicles in order to get you from point A to point B. Somebody created a plate so that you don't make a mess on the floor while you're trying to eat. We have things because they are given to us for a purpose. And God says here, uh, Jesus says, didn't God create you male and female for the purpose of bringing him glory and honor? See, the world around us doesn't want the commitment to any particular religion, or especially to the religion of the Christians and the Jews and the God of creation, because when we go to creation, we're accountable to something, and we just don't want to be accountable. We really don't. None of us. Don't you, don't you kind of bristle a little bit when somebody comes and follows up and checks up on you, make sure you did what you said you were going to do, what you're supposed to do? Well, yeah, I did it. We kind of bristle and we, we might say, yes, that's been completed on the outside. But in the middle, oh, question me. We don't want to be held accountable. But see, if we have a creator, we have a purpose and our creator holds us to that purpose and holds us accountable. And Jesus says, don't you remember that you were made, that you were created, that you didn't get here on your own? And it wasn't mom and dad. It was God himself that breathed life into you. 
You were created and you have a purpose and your purpose is to bring glory and honor to God. So Jesus points us to creation to begin with and says, here you go. Here's your purpose. But then he goes a little bit further. He says, don't you remember that they created them from the beginning and made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man should leave mama and daddy and cling to his wife. See, creation gives us a purpose, but by rooting our marriage instituted by God in creation, Jesus is showing that creation affirms our union. Because God created us different, male and female, to be united together in a one-time, one-to-one correlating bond, he is affirming that this union is right and true. Someone's come to you and say, well, you know, Jesus never addresses same-sex marriage. Looks to me like he just did. God made you male and female and said the man should leave his father and mother and be cling, be clung to, should cling to his wife. Jesus is looking at the scribes and the Pharisees and says, you're gonna come to me and ask me if the law is gonna give you permission to get rid of your wife anytime you want to and I'm gonna look you in the eye and say, you know what? God said that you're supposed to leave your mom and daddy and go to that wife, her. Somebody might say, well, how do I know I married the right person? Look at the name on the marriage certificate. That's, that's all you got to do. Just, it's written for you. Now, if you're in the house with somebody whose name's not on that marriage certificate, you've got some trouble. Because God, by making us male and female distinctly different, but also equally in his image, affirms our union as male and female, husband and wife. But then he goes a step further because Jesus isn't just interested in giving us the basics. He's not throwing the food out there on top of the pond for the fish to come eat. He's making sure that the fish have all that they can stomach. And he says there, they should become one flesh they are no longer two but they are one because creation makes something new and I love sitting down with young men and women that are expecting to get married and they come and they've got smiles and they're all happy oh he proposed and he bought me this ring he's going to take me on this honeymoon and he's going to be this he's going to be that we're going to have this and I you know I try to talk him out of marriage for like the first half of marriage counseling because, and, and, I, and, and, and just in case anybody out there is wanting to get married and come talk to me, I'm going to tell everybody up front, this is what I tell people in the very first time they sit down with me for premarital counseling, I don't care about your wedding. I, I do not care about weddings. I'm more concerned about your marriage because your wedding is going to be one day with pictures and a bunch of people you're not going to remember being there, but your marriage is going to be the foundation of who you are for the rest of your life. So in premarital counseling, I sit down and I start identifying things about each individual. And by week three, I say, all right, those individuals are gone because once you get married, you are no longer two, but you are one. You have been created as something else. It would be as illogical going throughout your marriage as two separate individuals is trying to walk two different directions with your legs. You can't do it. And so Jesus says here, you remember, he took you and said, no, you're no longer two. You are now one. There is something new in the place where the two older people used to be. They're gone. 
And, and so now the scribes and the Pharisees are looking at Jesus like, what in the world are you talking about? I was trying to trap you. And Jesus says, you're not going to trap me because we're, we're going to use some words here that show you what God really intended with your marriage. Because he instituted it. And by instituting it, God gets to set the rules for it. See, we use this word wedding, which comes from the old English from which we get our, our English word weld. You ever welded anything together? See, when you weld something, you take a couple of pieces of metal and you butt them up together just like this and you heat them beyond their melting point to a point where they can no longer sustain individually and then they're going to solidify right there. They're not going to come apart. Actually, most metal workers will tell you that you have a better chance of breaking each individual piece than you do breaking the bond that's created because something new has been made. But then Jesus brings us in a little bit more. Man, I love when Jesus teaches stuff because when Jesus teaches stuff, he makes sure that we really get the full understanding of who God wanted us to be and what God called us to do. So we go on and then we get the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're not satisfied because they're convicted. They're, they're trying to still find their way out. So they say to Jesus in verse seven, but then why did Moses command that we give her a certificate and send her away? See, Here's what Jesus shows us. That your marriage and my marriage requires a pliable heart. A pliable heart. Something that's pliable is flexible. It's, it has, has some, some ability to move. It's kind of like baby's bones. You know, if a baby had the rigid bones that a full-grown adult does, then that baby would never come out of mama. But baby's bones are mostly cartilaginous which means there's still a lot of cartilage tissue in the bone so they're flexible they're pliable they can be bold and moved and if you've ever watched a doctor or nurse with a newborn when they first come out you think you're going to torture that kid because they're yanking on their arms pulling on their legs flipping them around but their bones are so still pliable they can move see our hearts are required for that because here the scribes and the pharisees they say well why is it that G that god or moses commanded us to give a certificate. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to approach the throne of grace of God as married men and women, or hopefully married men or women, or those that have had a wonderful marriage that is no more for, for death or disease, and we understand this pliable heart, there's one thing that we do have to know. We have to know what is true. We have to know what is true. And see, that's why the scribes and the Pharisees, that's where they mess up. Because they come to Jesus and ask him a question about the teaching of Moses and they got it all wrong. See, most of the time we miss heresy because we're looking for something outrageously wrong, such as Jesus really didn't die for you. We're looking for, oh, that's a heretic right there. But heresy is most un easily understood as a lot of truth with a little bit of error. And that's what the scribes and the Pharisees have. Flip with me, if you will, over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24 is the whole basis of the Hillel and Shammai debate, debate over who can divorce who and why. It's where the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to base their teaching, but it's clear they don't really know what was actually said. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting in verse one. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and then it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he, the husband, then writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand to send her away from his house. 
And then she does leave his house and goes to become another man's wife. If the, first, if the second husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if he should die, verse 4, then the first husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her back again to be his wife because she's been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now, I want you to notice with me that it's never commanded in there to give the certificate. Moses didn't command, hey, you know, when this problem arises, send her out. He brings in what we call this if-then statement. And there's a whole series of a bunch of ifs that take place. If he gets married... If he finds something wrong, if he decides to divorce, if he does send her away, if she does remarry, and if the first guy is either divorces her or dies, then you can't take her back. What in that says, hey, you've got any right you want to send your wife away for whatever reason you find? Nothing. You see how important it is to know what's actually true? You see how important it is to actually know what was there? Here the scribes and the Pharisees, they're asking Jesus, hey, 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 wait, wait a second. Why did Moses command us to do this then? And Jesus says, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. He gives us this whole list of why it's important to make sure if you're gonna go that far and make that decision to dissolve your marriage, you really know what's at stake because you can never get her back period. It, it's done. We've got to know what's true. But then Jesus goes a little bit further and he says, it's because of your hardness of heart that Moses permitted. You see the difference in the, in the words there? They asked why Moses commanded and Jesus said, no, 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 it's your fault. It's because you've got a hard heart that he allowed it. He made an exception for it. He permitted. There's a big difference in command and permission. There's a huge difference between commanding something and permitting something. And if you're a parent, you know the difference. You may permit your kid to stay up late, but you're gonna command that they go to bed. There's a big difference. You may permit your kid to go and stay at a friend's house, but you're not commanding them to never come back. You, they gotta come home. And Jesus says here, it's because you had a heart. Now, some of you want to send your kids to somebody else's house to let them stay forever. That's another sermon for another day. But Jesus says, it's because of your hard heart that he permitted this. See, what Jesus demonstrates for us is something that we all know anytime we enter a relationship. That relationships reveal our brokenness. R relationships reveal how broken we actually are. Guess what? Prince Charming turns back into the frog. Some of you men are lucky if your wife even considers you just a frog. <laughs> Pretty princess might turn into the evil queen. Because you can look at your wife, you can look at your husband, go ahead, look, whichever side they're on, go ahead and look at them. Guess what? They're broken. They're broken and, and you can't fix them. Only the blood of Christ can fix that brokenness, period. Now, you can help or you can hinder. 
But only Jesus can save your spouse and fix the brokenness. And Jesus says, look, you got into this relationship and you found some indecency and you developed a hard heart about it because you forgot that when you get into a relationship with somebody, you're gonna find out how broken they are and most definitely how broken you are. And so we've gotta ask ourselves a question. What am I gonna do with my spouse's brokenness? That's the issue that Jesus raises here with the scribes and the Pharisees. It's because of your hard heart. You decided that they were too broken for you. You decided that they weren't worth your time. You decided that, that you couldn't stomach their brokenness anymore and you forgot that you're the watch that's not ticking either. He says, because you had a hard heart. Oh man. How wonderful would it be if all of us had the pliable heart that the gospel requires? I wish I did. I, I wish I could, I could manage the brokenness that, that I bring to the table in my relationship so that I could rightfully help my, Christy with the brokenness that, that she brings to the relationship. But it's only through the blood of Christ. And so we have to ask, what are we gonna do with that? Are we gonna harden our heart and run from it? as the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to do, or are we gonna take it back to God who can mend and who can replace and who can fix? Why does he do that? Because God's plan is reconciliation. Remember we talked about this with anger and murder? We, we talked about that when we call somebody a moron or a fool that, 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 that's, that's demonstrating such a hard heart towards that person. And Jesus says here, it's because of your hard heart that Moses permitted, but from the beginning, that wasn't the plan. There's a series of commercials out right now that, that they're, they're kind of funny commercials. I, I enjoy good commercials and usually make, advertising usually works on me. If it's a good commercial, I probably want to buy that product. Um, but, but there's one out right now. It's like, hey, what if people really said what they thought? So it, it shows like this, this uh, couple meeting for a blind date at a restaurant. And uh, the, guy sa- the, the girl says, hey, I've already made plans for 30 minutes from now just in case this goes really, really bad. And he says, that's okay, I still live with my parents. You know, and, and it's just r- really putting it out there from the very beginning. See, it's a sad state that marriage is viewed in our society as something so dispensable that people knowingly enter into a marriage not expecting it to last more than five or six years. And it happens in the church. It happens among God's people. But God didn't send us into society to demonstrate the same brokenness, but to show how the gospel transforms our brokenness into something beautiful and wonderful. And Jesus says, this wasn't the plan from the beginning. God desires that you be reconciled and not develop the hard heart. But brokenness reveals our commitment. You can see how committed somebody is to something when the brokenness gets the worst. It's kind of like taking your car to a mechanic. You know, a good mechanic's gonna, you know, try really, really hard to fix it no matter what. An honest mechanic's gonna say, you gotta take this thing here to the junk heap. <laughs> I'll give you 500 bucks for it because that's about all you can get out here at the junkyard for. And, and, and you gotta see how committed. And you get those people that they really love their car, we call them enthusiasts. And they say, man, this car is gonna cost me five times more than it'll ever be worth to get it fixed and restored. And they do it anyway. Why? Because they're committed. What if your marriage cost you more than you would ever imagine investing? 
That's the commitment of reconciling the brokenness that we have under the throne of God. And it's in this that Jesus makes a note on divorce. Look at what he says. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, here's where I want to help you see what Jesus is pointing us to. He's pointing us to making divorce a non-option. To starting from the very beginning. Divorce is never on the table. It's not for us. And here's the requirement that that takes. That requires both parties coming to the table. It's not a you gotta do it all my way or I'm, or I'm out of here. It's, it's both parties willingly coming because Paul shares with us in the book of 1 Corinthians, hey, you know what? You, you could be serving God and your spouse utterly reject you and, and leave you and abandon you and you can't do anything about that. But under the household of faith, we must adopt a position that divorce is not on the table. And Jesus says, look, here, here it is. Here, here's, here's the relationship that God instituted and put you in. Don't break it up. You remember the old, some of you have the King James. It says there in, uh, in verse six, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Let no man divide, let no man dissolve. Period. If God instituted our marriage and we're responsible to God because we've been created by God and he made our marriages and made us male and female and put us in this union, do not seek to break it up. It's not an option. And, and then he goes a step further and says this, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. He says it this way in chapter five. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, he says that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. Anyone who marries that, that woman also commits adultery. Here's the thing about adultery. Jesus does not say that adultery is unforgivable. So this is kind of going back to that brokenness. And here, here, here's, here's where I want you to kind of walk with me for just a second. Because no doubt somebody in this room, at least one person, has been touched by an unfaithful spouse and, and, and the, the retching of the soul that that brings. I cannot fathom the pain. I have a sister that has borne that herself. I cannot fathom the pain of finding out that my wife has been unfaithful to me. But here is what Jesus says. Here is an exception to the rule I'm making about divorce, but nowhere does he say that just because you found him or her to be unfaithful that you have to pursue this option. Remember, what's commanded and what's permitted are different things. Biblical scholars call this the exception clause. And it centers around a word from which we get our English word pornography, but it's sexual immorality. And Jesus says, I understand that that will bring about a brokenness in your own heart that might send you to this way. And you have the option, you have the ability, but he does not say that it's absolutely unforgivable. Let, let me encourage you, if you've been there, if, if that's your step in life, let me encourage you that the cross brings completion. What he or she broke, Jesus can and will fix. 
maybe you've been divorced and you're remarried. What, what, do, you, what do you do? I mean, we're looking at this and it's like, hey, don't get divorced and marry somebody else and don't do that. Here, here cling to your spouse. If we truly believe that God instituted marriage and in creation gave us as male and female to one another for the purpose of being united, don't break that up in order to resume the original relationship. That would be adding, that would be adding sin to what's already happened. The past is past. What we do now is under the throne of Christ Jesus, under the authority of the cross, we step forward in love of our spouse and we pursue them and we cling to them. Remember, the two shall be one flesh. A new union has been made. Repent of the past, whatever was involved, that doesn't matter. Repent of the past, cling to your spouse and walk towards Christ together is you can't walk it alone. It's hard enough to walk it by yourself, walk it together. It's even harder to walk it alone. But a passage like this and a sermon like this would be remiss if we didn't do some reaffirming of our marriages. So, so I've got a little bit of an exercise and an activity. If you, if you are not married right now, I, I want you to, to watch and pray over what you're about to see. If you are widowed, I want you to pray and thank the Lord your God for the wonderful marriage you had. If you are hopeful and dreaming that Prince Charming or the princess will show up, pray that God would instill this in their heart as you seek him to provide. But if you are able and you are married and your spouse is here, I'd like to ask you to stand with your spouse, please. I want you to take them by the hand and look them in the eye. And I want you to repeat after me these words. I stand with you in this congregation of faith and before God. I am broken. You were broken. And I can't fix you. But I commit this to you today. To love and pursue Jesus first. To love you to forgive you always, to rely on God in keeping my heart from hardness. From this day forward, divorce is a no option. I will always fight for our marriage. I will pray for you and with you. My heart will always be yours and together we will serve the Lord. If you like, seal it with a kiss. And everybody's gonna go home and talk about being able to kiss in church at First Fairburn. We do this because we affirm 
that God has something greater for us individually than what society will ever offer. And Jesus has called us to do something different than the world around us. The world can offer a thousand things, but only Jesus can offer what truly satisfies. So this morning, let me ask you, as you look over your own heart, your, 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 your marriage, your relationship status, and, and let me ask you to start thinking about how the gospel is pushing you towards a reconciling heart. Maybe this morning you've got a relationship that's broken and you need to pour over what the gospel says and you wanna come and you wanna spend time in prayer. You wanna catch me and talk to me. I had a wonderful conversation with a young lady this week. She and her husband have been married a couple of years and, and they're needing help. And so we're gonna set up some times to get together and look at what the Bible teaches because Satan wants to destroy your marriage so that he can nullify your witness to the world that Jesus Christ can rectify, sustain, and provide what you need. Maybe this morning you're sitting out here and you're hearing about this gospel, this Savior that loves you. Let, let me share something with you. Jesus does love you, but God himself is sick of your sin. So sick of it that he would send his own son to the cross to redeem you to die your death. And today, you can have freedom like you've never known before by coming to him. There's nothing magical about the words that you'll say. There's nothing magical about walking down. You can walk down this row a liar and leave this row a liar. But if Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God is pressing your heart and you receive him today, the Bible says you will be saved. As we sing, Whatever God places on your heart, you come.